You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Look in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look with me at verse number 17. If you don't have a Bible there, look along on someone there, maybe share with someone next to you. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 17. Paul writing to the church of Corinth, which was a very carnal church. They were a very, they were a very fleshly church. They, uh, the city of Corinth was a city that was overrun with a sexual perversion. In fact, if somebody was living a very perverse lifestyle, there was a byword in those days saying that, he, that somebody would see an immoral person and say, he's playing the Corinthian. It was a very wicked city. And these people who'd been saved out of that lifestyle had brought a lot of that stuff with them. And they had some, they had some things that they were dealing with in their own lives. And, and uh, there were some others who came into the church and began to spread some false doctrine and false teaching and that's a very, very dangerous thing in the church. And I will tell you this, the church of Corinth was a gifted church. They had more spiritual gifts in that church. They had very gifted people, but they were using those gifts as toys and not tools. They were using their gifts for their own pleasure not for God's pleasure and for the benefit of the church. Can I tell you today, if you're saved, if you're saved, you know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, you are a gifted child. God doesn't have any non-gifted children. If you've been saved, you have spiritual gifts. And these are not natural talents. These are gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit when you got saved. Oh, this is the wonderful thing about salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody works their way to heaven. It is given to you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me tell you a beautiful thing about salvation. When you got saved, you received a wonderful gift. But not only that, God made you a gift. When you got saved, you received a gift, but God made you a gift. And he made you a gift to give back to the church. And so, salvation's a wonderful thing. It's a gift that just keeps giving. And the church at Corinth had misused their gifts. And by the way, can I tell you that having a spiritual gift doesn't make one spiritual. A spiritual gift can be used in a carnal way. And they can use it as, like I said, as a toy and not a tool. As something that they're using, God gave you gifts for your employment, not just for your enjoyment. I didn't just get a gift so I can sit back and feel good and get holy liver shivers and gospel goosebumps. That's not why God gave me gifts. God gave me gifts so that I would be useful to the body. But the church of Corinth had lost sight of that. And what we're going to do today in recognizing the Lord's Supper had turned into a, a drunken party at the church. And Paul wrote to them 
And he was putting this church back in order. Look at what he said in verse 17. He said, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That you come together not for the better but for the worse. He said, every time you get together, the church is worse. It's not any better. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And he said, and I partly believe it. He said, I, I, I'm hearing that there are these divisions among the church. And now, can I tell you, one of the greatest problems that a church can have are cliques. One of the greatest problems that a church can have is a church that is unwilling to welcome other people. And it's uh, us for and no more. You know, we're going to read next week in the book of Acts where they went and established these churches. And all of a sudden, these churches grew daily. I hear people say, you know, I just want to belong to a small country church. Well, then you don't want to belong to a biblical church. Now, I, I thank God for small country churches. But can I tell you, God didn't intend for churches to stay small. He said, get out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. May be full. Uh, I mean, listen, God's plan is sometimes we want our church to be comfortable for us. And God said, I want it to be full. I want it to be elbow room only. And listen, one of the greatest, one of the greatest burdens on a, a, a pastor's heart and should be the church's heart are empty chairs. Every chair in this room that's empty means one of two things. Either there's a church member vacant or there's someone who was uninvited and not hearing the gospel. And every chair, every empty chair ought to, ought to be an affliction to our heart. Like, Lord, fill this place. Lord, fill this place. Help me bring somebody to this chair and sit them in this chair so they can hear the gospel. And, uh, and so, he said, there's, there's problems in this church. This church is full of divisions. And this is what he said. Watch this. In verse number 19, he said, for there must be also heresies. Now, that word heresies in our world today means false doctrine. Now, it includes that. But the word heresy in the Bible is factions. There are factions, there must also be factions among you that they which are approved or they which are genuine or they which are authentic may be made manifest among you. Paul said, you know what? I want that. He said, look, I heard there's divisions and fine. There needs to be some factions so it shows who the genuine Christians are. Because genuine Christians are going to genuinely act like Christians. And they're going to make sure that they're walking in the unity and the bond of peace. They're going to try to unify while others are trying to divide. And so Paul said in verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. The church doesn't gather every week just to eat the Lord's Supper. We do this as oft as we will and for a certain purpose. He said for, in verse 21, for in eating, everyone taketh before another his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What praise I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So here's what was going on in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was getting together. Every time they met, they would get together and it was a party. I mean, it was a fiesta every Sunday. I don't even know if they had a Spanish ministry, but they were fiesting. Now, I'd much rather have a fiesta than a siesta. Some of you have made it a siesta every Sunday. But they would get together, and man, they would, they would have a party. They would bring food together, and, and then they would get in their little groups, and this group would eat together, and that group would eat together, and these groups over here who didn't have anything would not eat at all. And they're just seeing all these other groups partying and drinking and carrying on, having fun, and they were excluded. 
And Paul said, you know, when I see these factions, the genuine Christians are getting up and they're walking to these who have not and they're sharing with them and encouraging them and sharpening them. He said, but you've turned the Lord's table into a mockery. It's not a free-for-all buffet. There's a purpose for this. And so then Paul is going to say, this is what it's all about. Watch very carefully. Verse number 23. Paul said, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So they were not doing this ignorantly. They were doing this, they were doing this against their own knowledge. And he said that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it uh, and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? That's pretty serious, isn't it? But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, because you're eating this unworthily, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Now that's Christian talk for they die. Many have gotten sickly and many have died in your church, Corinthians, because you were eating and drinking of this cup unworthily. And then he says in verse number 31, and this is a very key verse, he says, for if ye would judge yourselves or ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, I want to speak this morning on this title, When Front Range Baptists Breaks Bread. When Front Range Baptists Breaks Bread. What does it mean when we come together and we take the Lord's Supper? Now, I believe the Lord wanted me to preach this message this week. And I argued with the Lord, and I said, Lord, I believe many people know it. And the Lord said, say it again. And I want you to say it again. And I want everyone to know that when we come to this table, they're to come the right way. Now, I want to tell you something that I love about the ordinance. God gave two ordinances to the church. And notice I didn't say sacraments. A sacrament is something that is part of your salvation. An ordinance is something that you observe because you're saved. These folks up here that got baptized, they didn't get saved when they got baptized. They got saved when they received Jesus Christ. They just showed salvation publicly and what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ publicly. Now, we're not getting saved and really receiving the body of Christ when we eat this bread. We receive Christ when we got saved. I received Christ when I got saved. Listen, <laughs> when I stood at the marriage altar and the pastor said, Dean, do you take Michelle to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I said, I do. And they said, Michelle, do you take Dean to be your awfully wedded husband? <laughs> and she said, if I have to. And uh, when they did that, let me tell you what happened. I gave my heart to Michelle. Michelle gave her heart to me. I belong to her and she belongs to me. Now, let me tell you what. I don't receive her. A bit by bit, every time we 
come together. I don't just receive her every, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And, and no, I got all of her when, I, when we got married. She, and by the way, she got all of me. Pray for her. <laughs> now, now, that's the way it is with the Lord's Supper. When we come to this Lord's Supper, we're not receiving Jesus all over again. We've already received him. So then why do we do it? What's it all about? Well, I would tell you this. In the Lord's Supper, there's a couple of things. And it's necessary for a church to do as often as a church will. But there's necessary for fellowship. There's a fellowship in this. That we are all here today saved and part of this body because of the death and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fellowship in that. There's a maturity in this. And there is obedience for Christians as we unite at the table, we're obeying. So let me tell you, there's fellowship in it, there's maturity in it, and there is a wonderful, wonderful sense of obedience in this table. You know, Jesus, some of the most wonderful times that he had with his disciples were around food. They ate together often. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, come and dine. Come and dine. And he prepared fish on the fire. Remember that? Jesus cooked a meal. He barbecued over the, over the grill. Said, come here, Peter. Y'all come and eat. And boy, they had a wonderful time eating. They had wonderful times eating. But this is not that. This is something different than that. This is something that Jesus ordained for his church to do in remembrance of him. So let me give you a couple things about when front range breaks bread. Number one. How are we to take this Lord's Supper? Number one, when front range breaks bread, we're to do it willingly. We are to do this willingly. It is, it is a duty of the Christian. We're, we're told that we are to do this in remembrance of Christ. It's a command and it's a duty for the believer, but it's not just a duty, it's a delight. It is a wonderful thing. And it's more delight than it is duty. A Christian ought to say, I, I'm, I'm coming to this because I want to partake in that Lord's Supper. Now, it is more than a commandment to obey. It is a blessing to enjoy. When we're coming to this table today, it is a blessing. Sometimes the Lord's Supper can become so rote that we just do it without taking thought. Do you know that God doesn't want us to live our Christian life by just rote experience and rote habits? God doesn't want us to do that. He wants it out of a heart that is longing to know Him and to love Him. And if I asked you a question today, if you looked back at last week, how much of your Christian life did you just do out of rote behavior? Now, how much of it was a reality of really genuinely, thoughtfully, intently giving this as worship to God. Now, this is a blessing. When we're coming to this table, we're coming with a friend. And we're sitting with a friend. And we're having a meal with the Lord Jesus. This is not a funeral service. <laughs> it's not a funeral service. It is a fellowship with Christ. And we're doing this until we can come and eat this cup and, or drink this cup and eat this bread anew with him in the kingdom. And let me tell you something. It is a wonderful, wonderful experience with a friend. I heard about a, a girl in a communist country many years ago, and they were not allowed to do what we're doing today. And she was going to meet in an underground church somewhere secretly with a group of believers, and they were going to have the Lord's Supper together. And she was on her way there, and she was stopped at a checkpoint. And those Russian guards said, hey, where are you going? And she knew if she said what she was doing, 
that she was going to be executed, arrested. And she thought for a moment and she said, I'm going to meet with some of my brothers and sisters and I'm going to talk about the death of our brother and we're going to fellowship together and have a meal in his memory and we're going to talk about the inheritance that he gave us. And they said, okay, you can go. (laughs) And can I tell you, it's exactly what we're doing. We're sitting with our brothers and sisters talking about the death of our brother and the inheritance that we received through his death. This is a wonderful thing and we ought to do it willingly. And number two, we ought to do it worthily. We ought to do it worthily. Notice what the Bible says, he that eateth or drinketh this cup unworthily. Do you see that in your Bible? Unworthily. Now, Let me just take you back to grade school for a minute, maybe to junior high school. But the word unworthily in this passage of Scripture is an adverb. (laughs) Now, I know it takes some of you just to remember. Remember what an adverb is? An adverb is adverb is is a word that modifies a verb. And so what he's really saying here is don't take this, don't take it unworthily. This is a modifier of how we take the Lord's Supper. How do you take it? Not unworthily. How do we take it? We don't take it with unconfessed sin. We don't take it flippantly. We don't take this today. Listen, we don't take the Lord's Supper today, front range, to just check off one of our requirements in our church constitution to have the Lord's Supper so many times a year. We're not doing this out of a routine. We're not doing this out of a schedule. We don't do this with a flippant attitude. Can we just get this over with? We do this with a heart that is worthy. You say, well, pastor, I'm not worthy. Well, you're not worthy and I'm not worthy. And that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying be worthy to do it. He's saying don't do it unworthily. Don't do it with an unworthy heart. None of us are worthy of this today. That's why the death of Christ was all of grace. It was undeserved. But can I tell you, he gives us some qualifiers of what it means to take it worthily. Number one, it is only for those who have been redeemed. Look at your Bible. Look at verse number 20. Um, Look at verse number 20 uh, where the Bible says here, uh, I'm sorry, look, look back at verse number, uh, chapter 10 and, uh, and verse number 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, that's the unsaved, and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Now look at verse number 21. But, I, but he says, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now here's what he said. He said the Lord's table is reserved for only those those who have the Lord's cup. You've come to Christ and you know him and you've been redeemed. You listen, if you're sitting here today and you come to church every so often as a religious experience or to tip your hat to God, or this is something that I know I should do. And you've got one hand on the Lord's cup and one hand on the devil's cup the rest of the week, you're going to take this cup unworthily. Jesus, Jesus did not die a death so we could have a foot in church and a foot in the world. He didn't die to save us so we can just go to heaven and live any way we want on the way there. 
He saved us that we would belong to him and that he would give us his life to live that life through us and that our life belongs to him. And so an unworthy partaker is somebody who's never experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, What Paul was saying here is you can't have one hand on the cup of the devil and one hand on the cup of the Lord. In other words, you're not half saved. You cannot be half saved. You're either all saved or you're not saved at all. And so there ought to be an understanding of your salvation. So before you take this cup today, you need to go back and remember, when have you come to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And have you received him as your Savior? Number two, it's only for, and I started these with R so you can remember them, but it's only for the reconciled. Only for the reconciled. Look back at at chapter 11 and look with me please at verse number 17. Now I say this, I declare unto you and I praise you not that you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, there come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I partly believe it. Now some of these people were worse off for the taking of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because they had divisions among the church. There were divisions among the people and it was worse off for them to be divided with each other. Let me ask you a question today. Is there anyone in your heart that you have malice against? Any, any other someone that you've gossiped about or you have a, a heart that has been, been unkind to them? Unkind words? Any division in your heart? Any less fellowship between you and another brother and sister? You know, it's easy to sit around somewhere outside the church and to talk about someone else behind their back, but then you got to come and sit at this table with their Savior. And He knows what you've said about them. Now, they may not know, but He knows. And He loved them and gave Himself for them, and you ought to love them and give yourself to them. And how dare we come to this table unreconciled with somebody who Jesus died for? This is a place of reconciliation. The Lord's Supper is a time for those at front range when we come to break bread to examine our heart. Is there anybody that I have malice in my heart to? How's my relationship with my wife? How's my relationship with my children? How's my relationship with my husband? Have I been a good husband this week? Have I been a good wife this week? Have I, do, I, do I have a heart of, uh, of angst or anger against somebody else? Now listen, listen, I'm telling you. We don't, we don't sit at this table and take it unworthily with a heart that's unreconciled because we refuse unity or communion with someone else. Listen, I can't come and have and demand communion with Christ if I don't have communion with one of those who belong to Christ. You know, we live in a dog-eat-dog world, don't we? People in this world, they, they, have, no, they, have, no, they have not one bit of problem backbiting and devouring other people. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost a rite of passage in the world today that we got to pull other people down so we can climb up. And you, you talk about something that hurts the heart of God is when there's a murmuring or there's a contention or there's a division in the church. Paul said, I'm not praising you. And he said, when you come to this table, you're going to be a lot worse off for having come to this table when you leave this table and you're still at odds with another believer. It'd be better for you not to eat it than to eat it unworthily because it's only for the reconciled. Number three, it's only for the reverent. It's only for the reverent. What does that mean? Look at verse 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before another his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. I mean, 
what was supposed to be a remembrance of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and what was supposed to be a remembrance of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ had turned into a frolic, a feast, and a drunken party and an exclusion party in the New Testament church. They took it lightly. Now, can I tell you, we do not take this lightly. Some churches just, they just come to this table and they have this as a, just part of their normal worship. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't. What I am saying is that if we come to this casually and we come to this out of routine and we come to this with a lighthearted heart and we don't take it seriously and examine ourselves, we're eating it unworthily. This is a reverent time. This is a time for a believer to look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and save this to himself is the life that I am living worthy of the death that he was dying is what I am living for worthy of him dying for Lord I want to come to this remembering the price that you paid for my eternal salvation let me tell you I said it earlier salvation was free to me but it was not free to him Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Not only that, it's not only just for the redeemed and the reconciled and for the reverent, but listen, it's for the repentant. Look at verse number 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now you say, what is that damnation? Does that mean I go to hell? No, no, no. He tells us what damnation is later. He tells us what damnation is in just a moment. He said in verse number 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now watch. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, now watch this, we are chastened of the Lord. Now there's a big difference between God damning someone and God chastening someone. Because God only chastens those who are His and those whom he loves. This is not talking about a person eating this table and going to hell. This is talking about a person who's eating this unworthily and then receiving a condemnation and a chastening from God. You know, we don't talk about this much in our churches today. But the Lord loves his children, and whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God loves you too much to let you enjoy your sin. Because God knows what sin's going to do with you. You'll play with it for a while and it'll kill you later. And so God said, I want you to do to sin what it will do to you. Put it to death. Crucify it. Examine yourself and get that sin dealt with. Now, what does he mean by that? I thought our sins were dealt with. They were dealt with at Calvary. They were dealt with at Calvary. But listen, listen to me. I'm grateful today that I have eternal life and that my sins are paid for. But when I, as a blood-bought believer who have eternal life, let sin come into my life, it breaks my fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship because now I'm playing with this sin when I should be praying to him. I am, I am now focused on sin. I have, sin has my heart now. There are things that I am enjoying that, that break the heart of God. And God is saying, you, you are spending time with something that I died for. The very things that nailed me to the cross, you're walking around in your heart and in your hands. Now, what does a Christian need to do with sin? You say, well, pastor, I'm saved. Um, my, my sin is different than those that are unsaved. Yeah, you're right. It's worse. Because they're doing it in darkness and in ignorance, and you're doing it in light 
and in the Lord's face. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And then he said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, he's saying here, he's saying here, we don't take lightly holy things. And he said, we don't come to the Lord and say, well, Lord, I want to enjoy my sin and your sacrifice too. Lord, I want my sin and I want your sacrifice. I want my cake and eat it too. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. He said, this is a time for you to examine yourself. Examine yourself and get this right with the Lord. And I'm so thankful for 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All. A, double, L, all. All sin, unrighteousness. Listen, you know what that means? That means if you confess your sin that you know about, he'll forgive you of the sins that you've done that you didn't even know about. Do you know that we, we sin when we don't even know we're sinning? When I do good, evil's present with me. I mean, there's so much sin in me. Paul said, in my flesh, there is no good thing. And I got to carry this old dead carcass everywhere I go. Even when I'm preaching, I might have pride. I mean, when I'm doing good, I'm still doing evil. That's how wretched of a man I am. So Lord, forgive me because I know I gossiped about that lady. I know I said what I shouldn't have said. Lord, I know I was unkind to them. Lord, I know I told a lie in that moment. God, I told a lie. And the Lord said, yes, you did, and I'm going to forgive that. But you also had arrogance and pride, and you also had some evil thoughts, and I'm going to forgive you of that. He's so gracious to us. If we confess, he'll forgive. And so we come to this table worthy. And then let me give this to you lastly, and we're done. We don't just come willingly, and we don't just come, we don't just come uh, worthily, but we come watchfully. Look at verse number 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, watch this, tarry one for another. Wait on each other. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. I mean, we didn't come here today to get pot roast. We didn't come here today to eat a barbecue. We came here today to remember the Lord's sacrifice. And he said, here's what I want. He said, I want you to, I want you to come together and come with each other. And I want you to discern the Lord's body. You said, now, pastor, when he says discern the Lord's body, does he mean the Lord's body at Calvary that was broken for us? Or does he mean the Lord's body, his church? Yes. Yes. You see, Not discerning means not understanding, not perceiving, not concentrating on the Lord's body. He wants our mind to go back to Calvary and remember the price that he paid for us at Calvary. And our mind is to be fixed on the broken body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as he died in agony for us. And that we should be mindful of the body of Christ. But then wait a minute. But he said, also, I want you mindful on the body of Christ around you. These are your brothers and your sisters. 
How the church of Corinth, they were sitting over here. And these were over here eating and drinking. These people of means. They had more money than those people over there. And they were enjoying and laughing. And they were not even considering those brothers over there that Jesus had shed his red, rich, royal blood for. They weren't considering that Christ loved them and gave himself to them and that he had given them this church, one body in the body of Christ, members one of another. They were over here enjoying themselves and drinking of themselves and partying of themselves, not mindful of those right across the room that Jesus had loved and given himself. And they would not dare give themselves to those who Jesus gave himself for. They were not discerning the Lord's body. And he said, I want you to discern him. That listen to me, because of that broken body at Calvary, we get this body in front range. Because he was so badly broken and shed his blood, he purchased a church, a body, and he put us there as members, one of another. And he makes us to walk in a spirit of unity and love and joy. Listen to me. This is a time to adore him. This is a time to appreciate him. And this is a time to announce him. He said, as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death. We're announcing to the world today that Jesus died for us and we belong to him. We're announcing that to the world. We are witnessing of his death. We take this together. And why do we do that? To profess our faith in him? Do you, do you know what I'm saying today as the pastor of this church? When I take that broken piece of bread and I take that body, you know what I'm saying to you? I'm saying to you that I am a sinner and that my sin put Jesus on that cross and by his broken body that I have received, I've been made whole. And when I drink that cup, what I'm saying to you is that I'm a man born in sin. And I'm altogether unworthy, but when I drink that, I'm telling you that Jesus has made me worthy through his shed blood, and that, and that I am just like you, a sinner. You know, there's level ground at the foot of the cross. You don't strut into heaven, brother. You come to the cross, and you kneel there, receiving that broken body and that shed blood as the price, the only price for your sin. And this is what I'm declaring today. I'm declaring my faith in him. And not only that, I'm declaring my fellowship with you, (laughs) that I belong to a fellowship of a bunch of other sinners who've all been to Calvary to receive Christ. What a joy it is to come to this table and to eat it with a worthy heart. The Jews had a a Passover feast. When Jesus announced this feast to his disciples, it was at the time of Passover, you remember? And the Jews had a time of Passover. They would look back to when they put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost. And the death angel came, and when the death angel saw the blood, he passed over them. And so they would have this feast every year to remember the Passover And they had an empty chair at their table, and that empty chair was Elijah's chair. The Jews believed that when the prophet with the spirit of Elijah came, that that would be the end of that age, and they would go into their reign with their Messiah. He would come to take over and overthrow the kingdoms of the world, and they would reign with their Messiah. They had Elijah's chair. And so at the Passover, uh, oftentimes the Jewish father would say to his eldest son, go to the door and see if you see Elijah coming. 
He'd go to the door and he'd come back. I don't see Elijah coming. And they would take the Passover meal together. (laughs) Now, the Passover was one to look back. But the Lord's Supper is one that doesn't just look back to Calvary. It looks forward to his coming to eat this bread and to drink this cup anew in his kingdom. And we're looking for not Elijah to come, but for Christ to come. And we're looking for him to come. Now, can I tell you, listen very carefully. Not one of those Hebrew boys was saved from the death angel by eating the meal. They were saved from the death angel by applying the blood of the lamb. Let me tell you a really scary thought before we eat this. Go back with me in your mind's eye. Thousands of years ago into ancient Egypt, where the Hebrews were slaves there. Go back in your mind's eye to that day. And the death angel is on his way. And God has given orders to the Hebrew people to take a lamb and to watch that lamb for four days. Observe it to make sure there's no spot or blemish. And then to take the blood of that lamb and to catch it in a basin. And the father to take a hyssop bush, which is a type of faith. A hyssop is a weed that grows in the desert and it goes all the way down and finds a rock under the ground somewhere and wraps around that rock. And it can grow and flourish in an arid climate because it is anchored to a rock and it absorbs its moisture from a rock. It gets its life from an unseen rock. And you can't pull that. You've got to cut that hyssop up. Hyssop is a type of faith. Our faith is rooted down. We are flourishing in this old wicked world because we're rooted to the rock of Christ. And they'd take that hyssop and that blood, that faith in the blood, and they would put it on the doorpost, and there it would run down that door in the shape of that cross. Go with me to the rich palace of Pharaoh. He's been warned that the death angel's coming. Pharaoh makes no preparation. Just a Hebrew superstition. Walk down those marbled halls of Pharaoh's palace and see his eldest son sleeping soundly in that bed under that Egyptian cotton. Those sheets of wealth and luxury. There's that boy sleeping soundly. He has no idea the death angel's coming for him. We go out into the slave quarters over there where the Hebrews are and we come to a house where one Hebrew dad has done exactly what the Lord commanded. He took that blood and put it on the doorpost and and there that eldest son says, Dad, we did it. Just like God said, we did it. The blood's applied. Close the door, Dad. Let's go to bed. And see that oldest boy go and lay down in that bed and fall fast asleep. Soundly he slept in that bed. Not a worry in his mind because he knew that blood was on the door. But there was another Hebrew boy. He might be like you or me. They did everything and that little boy said, Dad, did you do everything right? Did you slay that lamb just right? Did you catch all the blood in the basin? Dad, did you put all the blood on the door? Is it just the way it was supposed to be? Oh, yes, son. It's just the way it's supposed to be. Dad, are you sure you did it right? Yes, son. They closed the door and said, come on in. Let's go to bed. But dad, the death angel's coming and I'm the eldest son. And are you sure you did it right? Yes, son. We did it right. We did just what the Lord said to do. It's, we're behind the blood. It's all okay. And that little boy gets in that bed and boy, all he can think about that death angel coming and he tosses and turns. He gets up in the middle of the night and goes in. Dad, dad, are you sure? Are you sure the blood is out there? He said, son. 
The blood is there. I, we put it there. You were there when we did it. We put that blood just like he said, and it's there. Dad, are you sure we did it right? Are you sure there wasn't a blemish on that lamb? Are you sure? And boy, yeah, that kid didn't sleep 20 minutes. The next morning, that little boy pops awake, and he's alive. Over in another Hebrew house, that boy was sound asleep. He gets up. Oh, Dad, I slept so well, knowing that that blood was on the door. What a joy! And they sit down together in and, and fellowship. And in Pharaoh's house, those marbled halls ring with screeches of agony and sorrow as that boy lies cold and lifeless in that bed. You see, some of you are just like Pharaoh's son. You are unprotected. You've never been to Calvary. You've never had Jesus' blood applied to your door. You've never received him as your savior. And you're sleeping soundly on your way to hell. Comfortable. Nice house, nice car, nice bed, comfortable life. Sleeping your life to destruction when there's a means of salvation. And some of you are like that boy and that Hebrew boy. You got saved many years ago and you, don't, you know it. You've received Christ and you have assurance in your heart. <laughs> You're sleeping soundly. Resting in Christ. Some of you, you've been saved. The blood's been applied. But boy, you're frustrated. You don't have any assurance you're worried about whether you're saved or not. You don't know if the blood is really enough. Can I tell you? The blood of the Lamb of God is enough to wash away every sin. And we can rest in it today. Now we can only eat this table if we've come to Calvary and we have our hearts washed in that blood of Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to be saved today. If you are saved and you've got some sin in your life, this is a time to confess right now. Let a man examine himself. If we'll judge ourselves, he said, that's enough. That's all I want. Examine your heart. Confess it today. We're going to take just a moment to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please? Father, I'm praying right now that those who do not know you as personal Savior today would come to Christ. If they've never had their sins forgiven, that they would come to Jesus now. I pray that your people would do business with you today, that we would not come to this table flippantly, arrogantly, casually. Lord, we would come worthily and willingly. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Who's here today would say, Pastor Miller, I'm like Pharaoh's son. I've never trusted Christ as my personal Savior. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't know that Christ has saved me. But if he would save me today, I would want to be saved. Would you slip your hand way up high? Way up high. Hold it right up. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, but I'd like to. Just slip your hand way up high. Put it right back down. I won't embarrass you or come to where you are, but I do want to pray for you. And I want to know who I'm praying for today. Just slip your hand way up high. Put it right back down. Well, Christian, this is just a moment here. I want you to take some time right now to confess to the Lord. If there's some sin in your life, would you confess it? And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you did not receive the bread when you came in today, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just slip your hand wet pipe? If you didn't receive that, the deacons will come to you very quickly and they'll bring that to you. We're going to just wait in just a moment. We'll make sure that everybody gets that. 
And while they're passing that out, just keep your hand way up high so they can know where to come. And they'll bring it to you. And while, you're, while they're passing that out, I want you to pray today. Would you pray right now? Lord, I thank you for your death and your burial and your resurrection. Lord, I want to live worthy. I want to live worthy. Lord, I have this sin in my life. And look, just confess it to him. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. Let's come with a clean heart. Keep your hands way up and they'll bring that to you. We'll just tarry for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be in this place at this time. Lord, as we just take a few moments, I pray that right now our hearts would be fixed on that wonderful, wonderful, and yet awful day when you took our sins, made them your very own. And I pray that today, Lord, we would find in our heart forgiveness and freedom from sin, perhaps that has bound us. We would see that your broken body and your shed blood can break the power of sin. So I pray that today you would do a work in your people. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.